Well, as I said, today my voice is not as strong. My voice is not always that great to begin with. Um, I've been, it's been said I've had a uh, soft voice, not exactly a very boding or manly voice. I certainly don't have a Morgan Freeman voice, which automatically makes you want to listen. But, uh, but that's okay. Uh, the importance today is not my words or my voice. It is the importance of God's Word. God's voice given to His people so that we may know Him and that we may grow up together. We are continuing our series, Growing Up Together. And uh, you may have heard people tell you before, you just need to grow up. Um, you may need to act your age. I always like to respond when someone says, act your age. I'm like, well, how would I know? I've never been this age before. Um, but uh, <clears throat> that should not probably be the most smartest thing to share with certain responses. But uh, it is fun every now and then. But we are talking about growing up together. What does it mean when God's church grows in the way that God's word has said he intended it to grow? Well, we talked about how the Bible encourages believers to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this would be for his glory both today and throughout eternity. That it is good that we do this. It is pleasing to God that we would grow and mature. And I know sometimes we want to fight back against that. We want, oh, I want to stay young. I want to have vitality. And here's what I want you to understand. Just because you have maturity does not mean that you lose vitality. In fact, it might state that with healthy maturity is actually a greater sense of vitality. And this is true in God's Word, that as we grow up in Him, it does not mean that we become boring, old, persimmon-faced believers that sit there with their arms crossed and don't ever nod their heads. That's not what it means. It means we get excited that, wow, this is the God who has graciously made Himself known to us. This is the God who not only has made Himself known to us, but called me and you and all of us together to follow Him and to do His good. This is the God who saves and sustains and sends out His people with vibrancy as they grow with Him. And this is gracious to us. This is through the Gospel that was paid for by Jesus. And this is to the glory of God who is worthy of praise. And today, we're going to see what the Word says even further as it talks about what it means to know it. What it means to study it. What it means to learn from the God who gave it to us. So would you stand as we honor God in the reading of His Word. We are going to be reading from Psalm 119, 119, not 1, chapter 1, verse 19, because there is no chapter 1, verse 19. But this is Psalm 119. And just a bit of trivia, if you don't know this, this is the longest chapter in the Bible with 172 verses. And you're like, oh no. Don't worry, I'm reading 24 of them right now. Um, if I did the whole 172, I would say, that's the sermon, have a good day. But you wouldn't want to stand that long. But let's stand, and since you're standing, here we go. The words are on the screen behind me. By the way, if you're using our Pew Bible, it's on page 538, if you would like to follow along in that way. God's Word says, How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. 
Happy are those who keep His decrees and seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in His ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. How could a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees. As much as in all riches, I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal generously with your servants so that I may live. Then I will keep your word. Open my eyes that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. I am a resident alien on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. I am continually overcome with longing for your judgments. You rebuke the arrogant, the ones under a curse who wander from your commands. Take insult and contempt away from me, for I have kept your decrees. And though princes sit together speaking against me, your servant will think about your statutes. Your decrees are my delight and my counselors. Let's pray. Lord, we've read your word today, this poem, this praise captured by the psalmist to share about their delight they have in you and the delight they have in the graceful gift of your word that came from you to man. And so today, we want to honor you, we want to know you, and I pray this is the will of every single soul that is here. And for the one that may be here, that it, while they may be here out of pleasantry to a family member or a friend, I pray that even you would soften every single heart in this room to desire to follow after you, to trust you even more, to have a greater sense of faith in you. And for the soul that needs peace with you, I pray you grant it today. According to the promises of your word, may we be faithful to teach it and serve you through it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so we're going to dive in today. And we've just read from God's word. And I understand that sometimes when we read from God's word, you can read things and say, well, I have questions. I'm curious about where this came from. I'm, 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 I want to know how this applies to my life. And, and those are good questions to ask, no matter if you've been a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus for many, many years, or maybe you're just looking for answers about God. It is good to have those questions. It is good for you to desire the answers to those questions because when you have questions and you seek answers, you can grow in your knowledge. It's when we harden our hearts or we get arrogant and think, well, I've got all the questions answered. I really don't even need to look anymore. That is when we become cold and stone-like, and where we become so hardened that, that we stop seeking after the Lord. And here, the psalmist, we don't know who wrote this psalm. Uh, many of the psalms come from David, the most of them do. 
Uh, some of them come from the sons of Korah, some from the musicians called Asaphs, and, and some even from Moses. But this psalmist, we don't know who his name is, but he records a beautiful, beautiful psalm about his delight in God's Word as he recognizes how good God is that he would give it, but also the goodness that comes from keeping it. The goodness that comes from trusting the Lord and following after His Word. Now the Psalms are a huge collection. Uh, when we read from them, you have Psalms that are praising God for every single thing He does. And you have Psalms that are sometimes just praying out of anger and sadness and just trying in difficulty to understand what is it God is doing in the world. Yet nevertheless, these Psalms are kept as prayers to the Lord and they were used throughout the history of the Jewish people as their first songs. In other words, when you open up the Psalms book, you're opening up the song book. You're opening up the book of hymns that were first there. Yes, I know we have our treasured Baptist hymnal there. Uh, songs that were written pretty much anywhere between 1500 and the mid-1900s. But these songs predate them by far, and they are the original prayer. So I would encourage anyone to have a healthy diet on the Psalms. But we may ask, how does it apply? Well, it applies to us just as it applies to them. In other words, it helps us get a deeper understanding of what it means to praise God, what it means to pray to God, and what it means to follow God um, and trust Him even in the midst of things that we don't understand. We recognize He is God. He is good. And as God... He's going to know things a lot more than we're going to know them. And as the one who is always good, because if we're honest, we like to think of ourselves as good, but we don't always do good. But God always does. He's got a greater knowledge of what is going on. And it builds up our faith in Him. This is how it applies to us. It builds up our faith in God's sovereignty through all circumstances. But here, it's telling us that God's people are to delight in the faithfulness and truthfulness that is expressed in God's word that it teaches us about him and it teaches us about studying today we're going to see that studying god's word it, it is an essential essential when i mean essential means never to be neglected essential practice for every faithful disciple and i want to clarify that for every faithful disciple so today if you're saying well i mean opening the bible on sundays that that's pretty good right it is good that you open the Bible on Sundays, but for the faithful disciple, the one who is being disciplined and shaped and molded and, and, and growing with the Lord, this should be a practice that is essential for every day. And studying God's Word, it's what brings us closer to the right answers because it allows us to ask and wrestle with the right questions. Many of us want the answers to life but are we willing to wrestle and struggle with the questions? God's Word will bring us those confrontations at times. It'll show us what that looks like. So let's ask some questions about God's Word and about studying. How does it help us grow? Well, first of all, let's answer the question, why should I study God's Word? And let's let God's Word answer it for us. Why should I study God's Word? Well, first of all, because it is beautiful for us to know the Lord. That is a thing of beauty that mankind was made to know the Lord. And one of the things we see in Psalm 119 is the beautiful organization of it. You may open up your, your copy of God's Word and, and, and see in Psalm 119 these 
weird little le- shaped letters and these weird spelled words. The Aleph and the, and the Beit and the, and the Dalit and the Va and the Zion and the Hay and the Gimel. And you may wonder, what is all that about? Why is that there? Well, Psalm 119 is 172 verses that are divided in eight passages. And all eight passages all begin with the same letter. We don't see that in the English version because of the way it's translated there. But if you opened up the Hebrew Bible, you would see that all of these verses, as they're lined out, they all begin with the same letter. In other words, it's an acrostic poetry. In this psalm is saying that there, it is good that God has given us His Word. He's saying, I want to just orchestrate the beauty of knowing the Lord. Now, have you ever thought about that? I, I want you to get that in your in, in, into a frame of reference and track with me on that. Have you ever thought about how beautiful and good it is that we get to know God? Do you consider that a beautiful aspect of your life? Like in all the things that you picture as beautiful and treasured and, and worth more than riches, is the fact that you know God one of the most beautiful aspects of your life? Because the Bible tells us that's beautiful. That is something unlike any other thing that we could ever possess that we as the created would actually get to know the Creator. And the Bible says that that's a part of why we should study God. If we don't think that's beautiful, if we don't think that's treasured or worthwhile, it'll be very easy for us to neglect this. It'll be very easy for us to take it and say, well, I believe in the honor that's in this book. I believe in the goodness that's in this book. But I don't believe the time in this book is worth it. And what you'll do is you'll do like my other trinkets that sit in my office, that they sit on a shelf, and I like them, I appreciate them, but I never use them. You know how many coffee mugs I have that I never, ever use? It's actually sad and a little bit frightening. But I will keep buying them. I I like them. I don't know what it is. But how useless is that? I mean, I can appreciate the beauty, but if it doesn't leave me ever to use it and apply it, that's kind of sad. But it is beautiful to know the Lord. We also see that the one reason we should study the Word, when we ask that question, why should I study this Bible? It's not only beautiful to know the Lord. The psalmist writes, it's a blessing to follow the Lord. That it's a good that's brought to you, not only in a picture but in the application. He says this, how happy are those who is blameless. Your Bible may translate it, how blessed, how vital, how life-giving, how thriving, how gifted it is for those whose way is blameless, for those who walk according to the Lord's instruction, for those who keep His decree, for those who seek Him with all their heart. You see, it's not only beautiful to have this treasure, but it's a blessing to apply it. To say, God has has made this pretty cut and dry in black and white. This is what it means to follow Him. And I can go along with guilt in being disobedient and rejecting it or being apathetic and ignorant of it and still have a disconcerted heart. Or my life can live in concert, in harmony with what God has given. That my life can be part of His intended direction. That it can thrive and have that vitality, that blessing that accompanies following the Lord. 
Another way we may answer, why should I study the God on top of its beauty, on top of its blessing, but in the bountiful aspect of trusting the Lord. It says those that follow Him, they do nothing wrong. They walk in all His ways. Now, me say, well, I still sin. I still fall short. So what's the deal with that? It's saying that when we follow Him, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing bad about following Jesus. That's a bountiful aspect. And whenever they're diligently kept, we can see how good it was when it was applied to our life. We live in a life that is not a shame. You ever read a, a command of God? And it just pricks you. Like, it's like, boom! You feel the sting of it? Because you recognize, wow, this is what God's Word is saying. And this is how it's stinging because I'm not applying. You ever had those moments? They're painful, right? And, and we can do one of two things with that. We can either be frustrated and mad at God and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Or we can be passive and pretend like, nah, 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 I didn't hear that. No, mm -mm. So we don't feel guilty because we're being passive. I, 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 if I didn't read it, I don't know it. And if I don't know it, then I can't be guilty of not following it. No, that's not how the Bible plays it. Those are the two negative ways we can respond. Or we can say, God, I am convicted and I feel the weight and the heaviness. I feel the shame of where I need repentance. But I trust in your goodness and, and the fact that you're making this known to me, the fact that you're not like, boom, striking me down with lightning, you're not turning me to dust, it shows that your grace is still abounding to me and you're giving me yet another second chance upon second chance upon second chance. Think about it, the fact that when you read it and you say, oh, I'm guilty of that, boom. You, you don't die right then. That is God's goodness to you. So don't deal with it passively and plug your ears and don't deal with frustration that says, I'm angry at God. I've read something I don't like, so let me just close the whole book. See God's grace there. You see, if we really want to know what God wants, some of us, we come to church and, and that's our desperate God. I just want to know what you want. In this stage of life, in this next step, what is it you want? Well, how would we, why would we ever say, God, I want to know what you want, but I don't want to listen to what you say? That would be silly, right? That would be absolutely astoundingly ludicrous. It'd be ridiculous for us to do that. It'd be ridiculous for the servant that says, I want to know the master's will, but never listen to the master's word. That would be absolutely insane. It would be silly for the child to say, I want to know what my parent is telling me. I, want, I mean, I want to know what they want, but I don't listen to what they want to say. That's why we should study the Word. But here's another question. Not only why should we study the Word, but how should I study? Is there a practice? What, what helps me get into the, the position of, of rightly understanding it and, and growing with it? Because I know that sometimes we can... Look at it and say, well, I'm just trying to get something out of it. Well, one of the things I would tell you is listen to what the Word says about this as well. First of all, with a defined affection. Look again at verses 10 and 11. It says, I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander 
them your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. So what we see, first of all, the Bible says if you're going to study God's word, it first of all comes with a defined affection. Is your heart open to what God is going to say? Is your heart open? I mean, think about it now. If God were to challenge the way you view the world, the way you view its creation, its right and wrong, its meaning, um, what God says about who you are and who He is, about heaven or hell, if God were to challenge your thinking on it as you walked in this door, according to His Word, directly, not, not some weird abstract thing that someone says, this is what God says, but it doesn't what not God says. But it's what God says. If God were to challenge it, would you say, I'm willing to receive that? Or are you absolutely closed? No, my heart is hard. I will not listen. Well, I'm going to tell you, if that's the condition of your heart, it's going to be a hard time for you to receive the things that pierce the heart. You almost also have it with a captive mind. And I know this is the hard part because sometimes we'll start reading and we'll start drifting about different things. As, as the Bible has said, don't let me wander from your commands. As I'm studying you, God, help hold me captive. Hold my thoughts to where my train of thought is not even leaving you. Because there might be something that you say, this is what you've been thinking, this is what you've been doing, this is what you've been saying, this is the way you've been living, and yet you need to turn and trust in me. So we have to have a defined affection. God, give us open hearts and captive minds. Let it receive whatever you want to say, but let us not wander away from it. Studying God's Word is to have a devoted attitude. Verses 12 through 14 talk about this posture of worship with the goal and the focus of glorifying God. It says, Lord, may you be blessed. Now, that's kind of contrary and topsy-turvy to how we want to live. Because we say, God, I want to be blessed. But did you know that a part of your study is that you would return praise and worship to bless the Lord, to glorify God? And if this takes place is that God would teach us His statutes. And that with our lips, we would then proclaim that His judgments, His counsel, His testimonies, His ordinances, His laws, His righteousness, His standards, it is all good. That we would turn around and have this devoted attitude that says, the focus of this is while it will change my life and transform how I think and live, it's meant to glorify God. That's the chief end of man. To know God and to glorify Him forever. Is that how we study the Bible? Another aspect, how should I study the Bible, is with a desiring appetite. Having a, a hunger that longs for the things of God. In verses 15-21, through 21, it says, I will meditate on your precepts and I will think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes 
and I will not forget your word. And I'm asking you to deal generously with your servant so that I might live and then I will keep your word. And I'm asking you to open my eyes so I may contemplate the wondrous things from your instruction. I am a resident alien on the earth. This is not my home. It's where I live, but it's not my ultimate home. Help me to continually be overcome with longing for your judgment. Help me not to be arrogant because these are the people you rebuke. These are the ones that under a curse that think they're beyond your direction. Help me not be them. Help me have a desiring appetite for the things that are good. Now, how do I compare that? Having a hunger for the things that longs for the things of God. This is pretty contrary to how we normally live, too. Because we're accustomed to sweet things. We're accustomed to the things that delight the taste. and They seem to give us a joy for a moment, but they're very futile in how long-lasting they are. I love sweet tea. Iced sweet tea is one of the most beautiful creations on this earth. But the problem with iced sweet tea, the amount of sugar that you're intaking is so absolutely abnormal to what your body needs. And the thing about it is, it's not really that nutritious for you, and it makes you want more and more and more of it. When I went to my grandparents' house as a kid, there was always copious amounts of sweet tea. I mean, the gallon pitchers overflowed. But there were also things that my grandparents would cook. And my dad and my mom would always tell me when I went into their house, before we got there, I don't know what your grandparents are cooking today. I have no idea. And it wasn't something crazy. That was my other grandparents, you know, where I would have like squirrel and stuff like that. But in my grandparents' house, she would always have some kind of vegetable. And the odor of that vegetable would permeate the house. Or she would be cooking some type of fish. And, uh, and it would just be really strong. And so, even if they knew, I'm, we're going to walk into a smell, and you may not like that smell, you need to eat that food because it's going to be good for you. Now, my grandparents would always coax it out of me to eat my meal. They would mix my peas with my mashed potatoes and loads of butter and that kind of thing. But they would always say that if you finish this, the sweet tea overflows and there's cookies and cake and like a plethora of other desserts that no man could ever finish in one sitting. But they would always say, if you'll finish this. But you know what I I began to do? That stuff that I had to eat first, I began to long for it. I began to desire it. And, and And I got a greater hunger for that in larger portions than I did for the sweets and the little delights. And my body began craving those things because it actually filled what my body needed. 
Now you may think of God's Word. I don't want to read that. It's going to tell me things I don't like. It's going to come against the things that I, I, I desire, those sweet things. Let's just be awful. The reason, be honest, the reason we sin is because we like it. There's no other reason. We like it. It's sweet. technical difficulty there. But that's the reason we do it. It makes us feel good. It, 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 thinks, it makes us think that we're getting something good. We lie because we want to feel better about ourselves or we want to escape something that will be bad. We like sin. And God's Word is going to confront that. But as we get into it and we study it, we have a desiring appetite that says, I know this may be hard in the first bites of my life, but it will be so transformative that you'll begin to desire it. And it, as you begin to desire it, what will happen is, I don't want to treat the Bible like a talisman or anything, but when you go days without spending time in it, you'll notice the effects of your life because your body, your soul, your heart, your mind has become so captive to it. It says, I, you need this. And you're not going to live healthy when you distance yourself from it and just try to fill your life with the other sweets that are not good. How should I study the Word with a defined affection, with a devoted attitude, with a desiring appetite, and with determined alignment? Having a changed and focused direction to follow God by a discipline, even in the difficulties. The psalmist makes no mistake here. He says, it is difficult to live this out. There, there are people that mock me. There are arrogant people that surround me. Like, why would you ever do that with your life? Why would you put some kind of authority over your life? But it's because he's devoted and said, because my alignment, my action in life is fixed on you. Help me not wander. I recognize my desire to wander. I love that song, Come Thou Found. I've told Stefan it's like one of my favorite hymns because it speaks so much to the, the very nature of my life. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I feel that. But set your love like a seal on my heart. Like a fetter. Bind me. Help me be aligned to follow you because I know there's so much more life and goodness and direction in that way than any other arrogant choice I would choose to take. That's how we should study God's Word. Knowing it is beautiful. Knowing it is a blessing. Knowing it is bountiful. Knowing it is delight that we should delight in God's faithfulness and truthfulness as it's expressed. And with a defined affection, a devoted attitude, a desiring attitude, and, and, and a, a determined alignment. But... What must I be prepared for in my study of the Word? Moving to the New Testament, the writer uh, Paul to this, his protege, Timothy, the, the one he was discipling, he tells him of this writing. He says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped, complete, equipped for every good work. You see, Paul recognized writing to Timothy that there is a transcendent overarching supremacy that is found 
in the Word because of who resides above it and who speaks within it. That in this source material, this is not just a book. It holds God's supremacy in it. And if we're going to study it, there's some things we must be prepared for. The first is that it's going to cultivate us. It's going to correct us as it cultivates us. You ever cultivated something? That's usually a hard process. It requires mixing and digging. If you're cultivating a garden, you've got to get rid of the, the rocks and the things that would impede the growth and the roots. You've got to put in the right kind of fertilizer. Cultivation takes time. It requires breaking through something that was there left alone. And this is what God's Word is going to do because it is, comes from God and every word of it is profitable. It is also going to cultivate us. We must be prepared. Is your heart ready for God to say, I'm going to plow the soul of your, soil of your life? Are we also prepared for the confrontation and the condemnation that's going to come from God's Word? Because I know we would love it if God just, we opened His Word and says, you're doing a great job. Keep it up, buddy. That would be great, right? If that was all it said. But sometimes it's going to say, you messed up. You're going wrong. Stop it! It's going to say those things at times. And that's good for us. It's good for us to learn to say, I'm not just going to just go in my own lane. Whatever may happen, may happen. The Bible is going to rebuke us. And that rebuke is profitable. It is good. It is shaping. Prepared for the correction that comes from study because the Bible says it's good for correcting. And that's so awesome. How good is it that God says, you done messed up, but then he doesn't just walk away. Ever think about how loving that is of God? That he didn't say, well, you screwed up. Well, you're wrong. Well, you're flawed. But I'm not going to do anything about it. No, God says, I'm willing to walk with you for you to learn from me, to come to me, and I will give you peace and rest, and I will correct you and and show you the way. You may be in this room and think, man, my life's messed up. That's why I never go to church. Because I know I'm a sinner. How could God ever love me? I want to tell you, this is news. That God says, I love you. Because I sent the ultimate correction by going to the cross for you. Because I recognized you could not do it. I recognized how sinful you were. I recognized that all have sinned. Not just you. All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And I made the ultimate course correction by making the promise, by providing it, and bringing redemption to man. But then not only doing that and showing them what I, who I am, but I gave them that word so they may follow with me what I'm doing. And this is where you see the coaching from Scripture. You see, the Bible says He trains us in righteousness. That God says, this is going to be an exercise. And I'm going to be your coach to train you in this. You see the cleansing that comes from it because righteousness is a cleansing. That God shows us where sin is, but He shows us once many, many times that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us of all unrighteousness because God brings righteousness to His people. And we see the completion that comes from it. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
The writer of Hebrews, we do not know his name, but he talked about what we will be, should be prepared for in this study. When he says the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and the spirit. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart and that no creature is hidden from Him. Pardon me a second. We see in God's Word that there is a life that this is not some dead book. It is the living God who gave it to us. It is the living God who speaks to us through it. And it is the life and vitality that we have from the living God following His living Word. That there is meant to be a continuity from this study that just as God gives life, He sustains it and, and He does so in a vital way, in a healthy way, by giving us His Word. We see the capacity from the study that when we get into God's Word, we're not picking up something empty, we're picking up something effective that is able to transform. And we see something that is critical for us, something that will go deep. It is not just surface level. If your focus on the Bible is merely just a surface mask of how to be somewhat of a good person, you're missing the deep transformation that comes from knowing the Lord. This is what we must be prepared for when we study God's Word. But lastly, where and when does this study take place? Is it only for Sunday? It is only for qualified teachers? Only for pastors? Where does this, where does this take place? Well, I want to tell you that the place and the person that needs to learn, the when and where, is for everyone. It's not just for people to get a theolo- that want to get a theological degree or want to go serve in missions, or spread the gospel in Africa. That is not the only people that need God's Word. Everyone needs to be a learner. So I want to help you a little bit today with just a few little simple tips. There are generally four types of learners. You may be in this room and you think, I need to learn God's Word more. I need to study God's Word more. But I don't know where to begin. And some of it because you haven't picked up on what type of learner you may be. There are visual learners. This may be you if you're the person that processes information through images, charts, graphs, memes, infographics. Uh, This may be you. You need images to explain concepts and ideas. It's hard for you to get it if you can't see it laid out in a logical way. You prefer graphic elements over words. Tools for you would be visual charts Finding the right tools. I've got a great book that I would recommend called A Visual Theology. It lays out different parts of of what it means to follow and know the Lord and what He's doing. Perhaps you're not a visual learner. Maybe you're the auditory learner. You learn best when information is spoken. You could read it a hundred times. You could see it up on a screen. Someone could paint the picture on a map. But unless someone speaks it to you, it's hard for you to get it. You process information by talking through things. You love discussion. You prefer lectures. Some tools I'd recommend to you is, for those that are techie, listening to recommended podcasts. For other people, finding the right tools that give that auditory learning. Maybe you need to get on our Facebook and just listen, not watch. Some of you are learners that are not visual or auditory. That, I mean, you can learn that way, but it's not your given, your given space. 
Some of you are reading writing learners. You process information by reading, by writing, by journaling. That comes natural to you. You love to gain elements there. You enjoy assignments that say, I want you to read this. I want you to write this. You prefer to receive written notes. You love when someone sends you a letter. You love when someone gifts you a book. Your greatest joy is note-taking and libraries and bookstores. Perhaps that's not you. Perhaps you're the kinesthetic learner. This is the person that processes information by recreating and practicing. You enjoy hands-on tactile experiences. You prefer concrete personal application. The tool for you is looking for opportunities to take what you're hearing and put it into practice. That's how you learn best. I know people that are like this, they'll, they'll hear things a hundred times over and they'll say, I've never got it, I've never got it, I've got it, never got it. And you'll take them on a mission trip or a service project and boom, it clicks. I get it. If you need to study and you're wanting to know, this type of practice is not working for me, I want you to find the type of practice that helps you to study and learn. That's how you learn to, for everyone. It is essential that everyone learns. It's essential that every day, when you should be learning. When it comes to God's Word, a couple things that you could do. You could sit there and read and, and highlight a passage of the Scripture to try to figure out what it's, how it's explained, to figure out how it's applied, to understand how you may respond. If you would like to learn more about this, this is why we have our discipleship groups. That's the, the very direction that we take. We take time praying for one another, discussing one another, holding up visuals, writing, learning how to apply. It's not only essential that everyone should learn, it's not only essential that every day you should be learning, but it's essential that you understand this. Everywhere is the place for application of your learning. You see, what we do in here is not so we can just say, oh, that was good, and then close our Bibles, close our books, close our bulletins, and forget to apply what we're gaining together among God's people. That everywhere we look for God, how can I apply what I'm learning as I'm growing up with you? Because I have been created and placed here by you to have some kind of application of what I'm learning from you. And not only is everywhere the place, not only is everyone the learner, not only is every day an opportunity, but we must learn that everybody we encounter is a person that God has positioned us near so that we may share what we're learning. So it's good for us to go everywhere and try to do good, but we need to realize that a part of that good is proclaiming, speaking what we know to be true among those people God has strategically placed near us. Whether that's those in their very near homes or whether those are the random people that we meet in the coffee shops or... Um, the Mexican restaurant, or wherever we may end up. I don't even know where your plans are today. But don't lose sight that those people that you're connecting with, God has strategically placed you in this day to have an impact on them. And it may be very strong. It says, I realize God has told me I need to love people more and pray for them. Excuse me, sir. I thank you for this nice chimichanga. I'm going to pray for it. But rather than praying all the blessing on the chimichanga, how can I pray a blessing on you? How can I pray for you? 
Yesterday was a perfect example of taking what we know that God has said for us to do and taking it across the street and asking them and passing out a simple meal. How can I pray for you? It's where we see everyone deserves a chance to learn. Every day is an opportunity to learn. Everywhere is a place to take what we've learned. And everybody is a place, a person that God says I've placed near you who know me for them to know me. Take what you're learning. Take what you're studying and fuel it for the mission of God. We're going to close here. And I want to close by saying this. Over the last few days, we've talked about following the Lord and praying and today studying God's Word. And today, you, you may have been someone in this room or or in your life that's tried to put those into practice and you're just thinking, it's just not making sense to me. I mean, I get in God's Word, I open up the Bible, and to me it's just a bunch of mixed signals and, and, and gobbledygook. I, I can't make heads or tails out of it. And, and you may feel like you're, you're trying to pray because maybe circumstances have led you to getting on your knees and saying, I don't know who to turn to and I'm turning to God in this moment. And perhaps, I just want to put this out there. Maybe the reason that there's such a struggle with knowing God through His Word and, and, and feeling like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling is, first of all, you haven't really placed your trust in the Lord. That you don't have that personal peace and relationship with Him first. And today, God has placed you here so that you might hear of His desire for you to draw near to Him because He has already through the cross said, I am willing to draw near to you. And if that's you today, we want to offer you the opportunity to place your faith in the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. I know that seems like an over-spiritual thing. But I want to give you just this honest moment. That if you're here today and, and you say, I recognize that I don't have peace with God. I, I have never really placed my trust in Him. Maybe outward appearances says so. But inwardly, I recognize I have never said, God, I need You to save me. You can do so by praying a very simple prayer. Some people call this the sinner's prayer. I want you to know there's nothing magical about this. There's no abracadabra. It's just about the sincerity of your heart. That says, what is being said, I relate to and I mean. On the basis of faith in the Lord, you could pray a prayer like this if you need peace with God. Lord Jesus, today I admit that I need You. I need peace from You. I need forgiveness of my sins. I need You to save me. And I believe that You are God. And I confess my trust in You. I believe You died for me and rose again. And I confess I want You to save me and forgive me of my sins. Please do so. And I will follow after You all the days of my life. Today, if that's You and You prayed that prayer, I want You to know that if, if You prayed that with sincerity of heart and faith in the Lord, He will save. And I can call You my brother or sister in Christ. And it's as simple as that. It's trusting in the Lord. But perhaps in this room, while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, there is something that God has been telling you 
you need to do. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ, but you've not taken this next step the Lord is sharing with you to take. Maybe it's to be scripturally baptized, or maybe it's to take the next step of the connection group, or to go on the type of mission. Maybe even God is calling you into ministry and saying, God is compelling me to be a pastor. I don't know what it may be, but during this time, we're going to give you the ability to respond. Now, you can certainly respond to the Lord right where you are. But if you need someone to talk to, to walk through those questions to pray with, I'm going to be here at the front. And as the music plays, please respond as God would lead. And we will celebrate with you.